Baker. Puts it up. You're listening to the Culture State Podcast. Get ready. Well, if you guys were listening to Culture State Saturday, which is on 99.9 The Fan um, in Raleigh, North Carolina, you can also listen on the WRLSportsFan.com app. Um, you know that there's been an R&B feel and an R&B flavor to yes. what me and Dennis have been doing. Uh, we've been singing songs and we just were singing songs right now before we started the recording to this. Um, I don't know what it is about fall that just makes everything feel a little bit more lovey. It's, mm. I guess it's cuffing season, right? Uh, well, some of us are already taken, Chris. Uh, but here's the thing. You hate fall, so I'm surprised that you actually are saying this about fall. But I will say one of the reasons <laughs> I love fall this time of year, um, it's our, it's pizza. I love pizza this time of year. Definitely mm. it's warm. It's fresh yep. out the oven, just like you can get from Papa Murphy's Pizza. Every Tuesday, Chris, you can get a large Papa Murphy's Pizza for $10.99. That's right. What? $10.99 large pizza. Any type. 1099 large pizza on Tuesday. Pick it up, take it home, pop it in your oven, fresh out. Nice are, and are warm you, cool day. Are you saying that I can change the way I pizza? You can change the way you pizza, Chris. And you know what? When you're when you're driving to go pick up your Papa Murphy's, you can listen to some of the best people from the state of North Carolina music-wise. Jermaine Dupree, mm-hmm. Casey and JoJo. Yep. Guys like Ninth Wonder and Little Brother, you know, Big Pooh and Fonte. Yep. Some of the best artists ever. Come right here. I had to put in Scotty McCreary as well. Ah, He's doing this. Scotty McCreary, James Taylor, John Tesh. Who doesn't love a good little round ball rock? It's basketball season coming up. Who doesn't love a little round ball rock? Coltrane, one of the best jazz musicians ever from High Point, North Carolina. Man, great people come from High Point and Greensboro, if I do say so myself. Well, and speaking well, I, of I know one person from Greensboro who's fantastic. That's our guest today, Charles Whitfield. Oh, uh, I thought you were about to say Chris Lee. No, I don't know a Chris Lee from Greensboro. Oh, you, you're just trying to say I'm only from High Point? Well, you are from High Point. I'm from Greensboro. I moved to High Point at some a certain point in my life, but I'm from Greensboro. Anyway, let's not do this. Yes, welcome to the Culture State Podcast, because I don't think I actually said that yet. We've been talking for like five minutes. And going on about some uh, amazing pizza you can get on Tuesdays for ten ninety nine. Papa Murphy's changed the way you pizza. Um, if you're watching that, you saw my little wink right there. Um, and yes, this is going to be a great episode. It's all about the music, and you know that's one of the things that we love to to do here is to show you uh, the culture that North Carolina has helped put out there. Not only in just basketball, of course, we're the hoop state. Not only do the best pro wrestlers come from the state of North Carolina, but also some of the best musicians come from the state of North Carolina. And you've heard from some already uh, that you can pop in their names or pop in their discs or whatever and listen to their music. But this show uh, from my, my man, Charles Whitfield, he's working behind the scenes in the music industry, hoping to put out some of the best music. And here's something that Charles, we're going to get into him with it about is what exactly goes on behind the scenes, because oftentimes as consumers, and just fans, we we just hear what's put out there. Much like when we watch sports, we just see the game. We don't see any of the practice or any of the behind-the-scenes stuff. We don't see the minutiae, as some people like to say. We don't see any of that stuff. But it's people like Charles who are the ones behind the scenes driving the engine that keep the things moving, that make sure the, the artists, like he was going to talk about Jill Scott, someone that he worked with a lot early in her career, about – 
getting that stuff distributed, getting the right record labels, getting the marketing out there to make sure people can hear the music. It's a lot different then than it is now, but there's people behind the scenes that have to make things move. Absolutely, man. Um, and, and and it's it's big that um, there's been so many different people from um, our state that are movers and shakers in the record industry. Somebody that, um, you know, I, I've sent feelers out to uh, that hopefully maybe we can have on one day, Ski Beats. Uh, Ski Beats is one of the guys who helped create Jay-Z's first sound from Reasonable Doubt. A lot of people feel like that's still Jay-Z's best record ever uh, from right there in Greensboro, North Carolina. So, um, and, and those are the names that, you know, they're not the big, they're not the flashy names and all that, but uh, behind the scenes when it comes down to picking the right producers or being the right producer or creating that right sound, um, or like you said, marketing promotions, uh, record companies, different things like that. Um, there's some movers and shakers that have come uh, from this state and they absolutely have done their thing. They've left a great mark. And uh, Charles Whitfield is one of them. And so uh, you'll get a chance to know a little bit more about him. Uh, you get to know a little bit about uh, his brother, Fred Whitfield, um, and the connection that they have to Michael Jordan and what Michael Jordan has to do with Jill Scott's first album. So that is a nice little tease for you to stick around after this. All right. Uh, you, of course, here on the Culture State, we like to talk about the people that make the culture of North Carolina move forward. And that could be in sports, that could be uh, in pro wrestling, that could be in music. And this time, let's, let's focus on music. Uh, the North Carolina Music Hall of Fame was, uh, was recently, uh, had some new inductees, and we're talking about uh, names like Jermaine Dupree, uh, Michael Maldin, uh, you know, Tony Rice, Robert Moog, uh, Tony Brown, Roberta Flack, and then a guy that I get a chance to call a mentor. I've known him since I was 20 years old, his name is Charles Whitfield. So welcome to the show, Mr. Charles Whitfield. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Chris. Thank you and uh, Dennis for having me on. Appreciate the uh, opportunity to speak with you guys. Uh, no problem. Uh, so first off, uh, just the obvious question, just uh, a kid from Greensboro living his dreams and uh, you get a chance to uh, be considered, you know, one of the best uh, to ever work in the music industry coming out of the state of North Carolina. You're your favorite enshrined in the Hall of Fame. How does that make you feel? You know what? It's actually quite humbling, um, quite honestly, um, to you guys. Like you said, growing up in Greensboro, North Carolina, I actually played basketball all the way through college. Went to North Carolina Central, uh, played high school basketball at Greensboro Page. Um, but, you know, very humbling. But um, after college, worked at a record store for a while um, and then helped start a record label called Hidden Beach uh, Recordings, which uh, Jill Scott was the first artist I worked on. Her first record came out. July 2000. So crazy enough that, you know, that first project I worked on has been out more than 20 years. And so one, not to date myself, but, you know, it's a classic album that you can put on today and it, it fits right in with everything that's happening today. So, you know, very blessed uh, by the honor, by the North Carolina Music Hall of Fame. But, you know, as my mom said, there are no bad Hall of Fames. Um, she said even your elementary school Hall of Fame is a good one. So, one to be blessed to be enshrined in the North Carolina Music Hall, Hall of Fame last week was definitely quite a humbling experience. Now, I'm curious for people that don't know, the mm -hmm. ex explain to the people what the role of uh, an AR or an executive or a producer does in the music because we often we just hear the artists and the music that's put out there, but we mm -hmm. don't know everything that happens behind the scenes. So, what was your role or what roles did you play in the music? industry behind the scenes 
Yeah, so one, when we started Hidden Beach Records, it, it was literally two of us, uh, me and a guy named Steve McKeever, who I basically, through research, picked out to be my boss, basically. Um, you know, one, Michael Jordan was the majority investor in our label through a lifelong um, friendship, you know, he and my brother have. And I was fortunate enough to meet Michael when I was 15 at Campbell College's basketball school. But one, the role of an A&R exec is pretty much the middle person between the label and the artist. And so a lot of the day-to-day -day stuff of helping set up recording schedules, um, marketing, but just that ear between the, the label uh, and the artist. And one, we were an independent label. Sony was our initial distributor, especially when we worked on the Jill record. But one, A&R guy is pretty much your day-to-day -day person that deals with contact with the artist. You know, and and one, me and Jill built a, a very great relationship that, you know, 20 years later still exists. And so fortunately, you know, we're an independent label. So I did, you did roll up your sleeves and do everything. You know, a lot of jobs that might not be under quote unquote your title or what you do, but no job is too big and no job is too small. And one of the best things that we did at Hidden Beach that I help oversee was a nationwide internship program, a college internship program, which is actually you know, where I met Chris, um, you know, I spoke it. I went to North Carolina Central. So my passion was um, primarily touching the HBCU students, but, you know, also like the UNCGs, you know, Carolinas, Dukes of the Worlds as well. But, you know, one, our label was such a small label at the time when we started it. No job was too big or too small. Um, I, I remember when um, Jill Scott, when that song came out, just let's take a long walk around the park. And uh, it was like at the time, um, I think it was I was maybe 13 or 14 when it came out, but okay. like it wasn't quite my vibe. You know what I'm saying? Like I was on yeah. the cash money, bling, bling, all the type yeah. of stuff. And then um, that came out. And then I was like, I like this. This is different for, for me. And so mm -hmm. and around that time, that's when I start kind of paying attention to record labels and how things were going. Okay. And I didn't know this until I met you that it was somebody from Greensboro that you know had started the label. And, and so it was cool for me to kind of have that callback. Like, I remember going to buy this album. I remember being, you know, drawn and attracted to this album for some reason. And then it ended up being uh, somebody from, from Greensboro, which is cool for me. But Jill Scott is also from Philadelphia. So mm -hmm. like, where did that connection go from? How did you discover her as an artist? And, and you're the one who basically kind of, put her on on nationally. Uh, so, you know, talk about that and how that relationship uh, grew and how you were able to scout her and choose her as the number one artist for Hidden Beach. Yeah, well, one, um, we actually, so one, Steve McKeever, um, my boss at Hidden Beach, we were blessed that um, the attorney for Jazzy Jeff, a gentleman named Roger Patton, he was actually the one that gave Steve the initial, um, the initial demo on Jill. And so Jill was actually working with um, DJ Jazzy Jeff's crew, production crew, which was called the Touch of Jazz. So literally the Touch of Jazz crew are the guys that produced Jill's um, first project. But literally um, Roger gave Steve a three song demo of Jill, which one of the songs was a long walk, which when I first heard it, it sounded a little bit like Erica Badu, but still had her own vibe to it. And so literally, it was from Roger um, Patton where we where Steve initially got the um, the first music on Jill. And so at that time, you know, when Steve played it for me, you know, I just fell in love with her. And then from there, um, she came out to California and we got a chance to meet her. And then, you know, I actually took her to a, a poetry night out in L.A. and we just hung out and kicked it. And one, 
just became, you know, got a really good vibe about her. And, you know, over time, we just became really good friends. But it was Roger who initially gave, um, you know, Steve the initial music on Jill that, you know, we all fell in love with. And a lot of the original demos um, that we got ended up making the album, which is a rarity. But, um, you know, Jill was so polished at that time that, you know, from the demos, we, you know, obviously production, you know, got cleaned up. But I mean, literally a lot of the early Jill was what ended up making the first Who Is Jill Scott record. I want to inject this really quick before you go, Dennis. But I, my first memory of Jill Scott was uh, on the Chris Rock show when she, uh, I think, performed that song. And that was a long time ago on HBO. I probably mm -hmm. had no business watching that show at that <laughs> particular time. But that was my first memory of her. And um, she had like the back of her head shaved and all that. And it was, you know, she she had just this different like performance style. And I just remember that it it, uh, it really struck me at that time. So it was kind of cool to see uh, the connection there. I don't think I've ever actually talked to you about that before. So it's cool to, to know that. Yeah, no, and I mean, a, a lot of what we did, um, Jill first really came out um, with The Roots. She toured um, She toured with The Roots. Um, it was a song called You Got Me that actually Jill wrote that actually um, Erica Badu performed um, with The Roots. But when it was time for them to go out on the road, um, something that Erica's schedule prohibited her from going out on tour. So Jill went out. And so literally part of our early marketing um, for Jill while she was out on that Roots tour, she sang that one song. So what we did is we had a bunch of interns and friends all across the country. We came up with simple T-shirts saying, who is Jill Scott? Mm, and basically that. as people walked in to the show, we had these shirts on. It was literally, who is Jill Scott with a question mark? And so a lot of times as people were walking in, they did not really know who she was. But when they heard her do that song, she did her thing. And as people were walking out, we had cassette samplers as people were leaving um, where we were giving them samples of Jill. So then it was like, hey, you didn't know coming in. You heard her sing that night. So here's something in your in your hands. And so literally from um, the roots to common uh, to the Wild Wild West soundtrack to a, a Into Deep soundtrack, literally we just tried to strategically place her um, on some real organic type projects that so when her album did come out, people kind of did already know a little bit about who she was. How hard was it back then? Because nowadays you can just put everything out on the Internet super mm -hmm. fast. How hard was it back then just to get the name, to get the label, get everything out there in front of people, to get Jill's name in front of people to a massive audience? Yeah, I mean, it, it it was hard, but we also had a real good, you know, marketing plan. I can remember when we did our initial marketing meeting, um, we did a retreat in Vegas and it was probably eight or nine people in the room. And we were all as we were initially doing and, and you know, Jill and her management team, um, Steve from from Hidden Beach, Mike Parker. It was about eight or nine of us in a room. And we all said, hey, if we if we do this the right way. It'll be about 100 people saying they were in the room when we were doing that meeting. But if we do it wrong, you know, it'll be, oh, I wasn't in there then. And so literally, I mean, we were very strategic um, on how we did her on her first record. You really don't even see her face. She has um, a hat down and you can basically see her eyes because and then on the back of the back album cover was a little girl. And so one, you know, we did an initial T-shirt. And it just was like, who is Joe Scott with the little girl? And I remember people asking, you know, who is your first artist? Is she a kid? And and but we got people talking. We got people talking. And so 
um, you know, literally on the second album, we did put her on the album cover as a little girl. And so we kind of played back and forth between, you know, Jill, the artist. But, you know, from a marketing standpoint, we really knocked it out the park on, you know, our question was, who is Jill Scott? And Jill's whole thing was, you know, she wanted the music to speak about what it was, not how she looked and not what she, you know, was about. And so literally um, Sony, who was our initial distributor, they were in the process of trying to market Macy Gray at the time, who was popular and another lady named Amel LaRue, who was in Groove Theory. And so we were just trying to find our niche on how Jill could, could stand out. And, you know, all people kept asking was, who is Jill Scott? Who is Jill Scott? And so one, um, looking back some 20 years later, um, things weren't as easy as, you know, literally now all you got to do is, is go to social media or go to YouTube and, and punch in a name and it pops up. And, you know, but, you know, one thing I have a nine year old daughter, you know, I tell her, go go to YouTube and punch in Jill Scott to see some of the early stuff. But it was so much harder, but it was hand to hand and it was literally word of mouth um, of, you know, when the when the album first came out. You know, my brother was living in D.C. working for the Wizards at the time. And D.C. ended up being one of the hottest markets for Jill. And I remember one week after the record was out, we were walking around in Georgetown and you could hear Jill's album bumping and people singing the lyrics, you know, and because it was so that first album was so infectious that people, you know, literally loved every song on it. And so it, it was definitely a lot harder, but we gained some real diehard fans and you know even as chris was saying when he first heard it might have not necessarily been his cup of tea as he was 14 or 15 but as stuff happened and more developed you got to love and like it and you know one when you saw jill in concert you know not only was she great on on cd or vinyl or cassette but she was also amazing live in concert and to this day that's one of the things that's so unique about her is when you see a live performance by her she brings nothing but the heat and you want to see her over and over again I want to ask you a question that's more centered on um, the music scene uh, in North Carolina. Now, when I was reading uh, about the folks who are going into the uh, mu North Carolina Music Hall of Fame this year, I, I didn't realize Jermaine Dupree was from North Carolina. I thought he was always an Atlanta guy. And he's somebody who, um, you know, really helped shape the sound of Southern hip hop uh, coming out of Atlanta. Also, Southern R&B. Uh, he was you know, big on a lot of R&B records coming out of uh, Atlanta as well. Um, you know, uh, Tony Rice, Robert Moog. I didn't realize he was from Asheville as well as a lot yeah. of uh, Asheville represented right there. And uh, Tony Brown, Roberta Flack. Um, so I just learned some just, you know, just reading that right there, you know, with the, the release of who's going to be there and mm -hmm. who was uh, inducted. But, um, you know, what are some maybe things that people don't know about, about the uh, contributions that folks from North Carolina have on the music industry from before and also right now? You know what? I think I think it's North Carolina has a great history. Um, and 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 for transparency, I had never really heard of the North Carolina Music Hall of Fame until 2017, um, when Anthony Hamilton, who's a good friend, got put into the Hall of Fame. Um, in 2017, I actually went to his induction ceremony and actually had my brother Fred, who's president of the Hornets, actually Hornets present Anthony with the ball, um, commemorate him going in, and you know, literally from that point, I started doing some research and there's so many amazing artists, um, you know, from North Carolina that you might not know of, um, you know, whether it's James Taylor, um, great, great singer, um, John Tesh. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just a real deep history of North Carolina and North Carolina Music Hall of Fame, which is right in Kannapolis. Um, it's a great museum. And so one, 
you know, like yourself, you know, I was fortunate enough in 2019, um, a good friend of mine, Ninth Wonder, who I think you guys have had on the show, mm-hmm. Ninth went in as well. And so Ninth manager, Eli Davis, who also manages Anthony, invited me out in 2019 when Ninth went in. Charles, who are some of the people that you enjoyed listening to? Um, you know what? Growing up, man, I had so many. My my artists range were all over the place. I had an older brother, Fred, who, you know, got me listening to jazz artists at a I was in probably junior high school. So like I love jazz. So from David Sanborn to Al Jarreau to George Benson. But then um, I love R&B music from the Isley Brothers to one of my favorite groups is a group called Loose Ends, a great R&B group. But, you know, my my range goes from everywhere. I love a group hauling oats. I love journey. Um, I love the police. Um, I love a group called Men at Work. So the crazy thing is growing up in Greensboro, um, I had a, a few older um, friends and, you know, friends of my brother. My brother's 10 years older than me that I would bounce from house to house. Um, I played sports, you know, all the way up through, you know, high school and into college, basketball, baseball, ran track. But it was something about music that I gravitated to. And, and I'm not a musician, but I was a, a record store junkie. It was a, a CD a record store or CD store. Well, at the time, it was a record store near UNCG, where I, I see you have a UNCG uh, sweatshirt on. I know Chris went there. It was it was a record store um, called School Kids Records. Um, by the time you guys probably matriculated through there, it might have been gone, but it was right there um, about a half a block from the Yum Yum's ice cream. Um, oh, and yeah. literally was on the corner. I want to say it was like on the corner of Spring Garden, but literally that record store really helped me want to get into the business. They had a, a, a program which was pretty unique where you could actually rent albums um, and I would rent them and take them home and listen to them. And I mean, it was a store that, you know, I worked at a CD store in college called CD Superstore where we actually would let people rent CDs, kind of almost the same kind of way. But that store, School Kids, really helped, you know, pave my way. And fortunately, through one of my good friends, Kelly Brown, who I would take with me to the store a lot, we end up finding some of the owners of school kids and, you know, we're blessed to get a T-shirt um, and a bumper sticker. That's actually a part of my exhibit in the North Carolina Music Hall of Fame, because, you know, that store was truly, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to get into business, because I could just go and, you know, as a kid, just go try out music. Some I liked, some I didn't. But it gave me a way to just, you know, totally get engulfed into listening to music. So you brought something up earlier that I wanted to uh, learn a little bit more about. Uh, you mentioned your brother, Fred, for those who don't know, <clears throat> um, Fred Whitfield is the president of the Hornets. He's also in the North Carolina sports hall of fame. So mm-hmm. you have two brothers who are in, uh, in, in the North Carolina hall of fame, which I think is big. And I know you, um, your dad would be proud of you. I know your mom is proud of you. Um, and then, um, you know, he, you know, of course met Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. um, back at a, at a summer camp, I believe is, is a story uh, yep. when he was at Campbell and then they they formed their relationship, and uh, so you know clearly you knew Michael Jordan at you know at, at a particular time, and in your life, and you said that he helped to invest um, in Hidden Beach Recordings, which is something that I didn't know. So it's like double North Carolina right there, where somebody from Greensboro helped start the rec- uh, record uh, company, and then also somebody from North Carolina helped invest in the record company, which yeah. brought us Jill Scott on a mainstream. Um, which is, which is big. Uh, and so, you know, how did that conversation go? And, and those are like one of the small things that people don't know about Michael Jordan, the things that he does to help out uh, other people and businesses and get things off the ground. 
Yeah, no, I mean, Michael, I'm, I met Michael when I was 15. Um, as I was a camper at Campbell's camp. Michael was a counselor and he and Fred just struck up a, a, a good friendship. And over the years, you know, my brother, you know, worked with David Falk, his agency at the time. He worked with Mikey um, on an occasion. Also, Jordan Brand, when they were actually just getting the brand started, he actually was their legal attorney who helped sign a lot of the early uh, Jordan Brand guys. Um, you know, Chris Paul was one of the early guys, but um, Derek Anderson, um, Eddie Jones, um, you know, so one of the, the but my my connection to Michael was, you know, literally we had a business plan and we presented it to him. And one, um, you know, he and his attorney, David Falk, you know, liked the plan that we presented. And, you know, Michael chose to invest in the label. And then we had six other investors that invested in the label and did not know Michael was even a part of it. Um, they invested strictly on a business plan. Um, the mm-hmm. name of our company ended up being Hidden Beach Records, but Michael, name of his company was Sandy Cove, uh, almost an offshoot of kind of like Hidden Beach. So not until everybody was invested in that we did a, a letter to investors that people even know Michael was a part of it. And so one, you know, as Hidden Beach was getting started around that same time was right when Jordan Brand was getting started. And so one, it was, you know, very cool collaborations that we even did with Jordan Brand, um, Mike Phillips, who's a saxophone player that's done a lot in Greensboro and, you know, in North Carolina, but a musician who's toured with, you know, Prince and, and Michael Jackson and, and Jill Scott. We signed him to Hidden Beach and he was actually the first non-athlete actually signed the Jordan Brand. And actually mm-hmm. um, the Jordan 17 shoe, um, which was um, mainly themed around jazz, Mike actually helped. Um, put some music notes on the Jordan 17. And so those kind of things of, you know, cool collaborations, you know, that we would do with with the brand. And, you know, Michael was, you know, behind the scenes, but pretty supportive of everything. You know, Mike's done a ton of national anthems, not only for NBA games, but, you know, NFL games. Um, he and Arthur Blank and the Falcons have struck up a great relationship where, you know, pretty much most of the big Falcon games, you know, when they were going to the Super Bowl in their march a few years back, it was Mike Phillips doing that national anthem. And so one real strategic type partnerships, you know, that we were able to leverage because of Michael's relationship with the label um, that we were able to do. And, and to your point, you know, Michael was, you know, literally a big brother helping me, you know, live out my dream. And so one, you know, people knew or some people knew he was a part of Hidden Beach. But just like with Jill, he was like, I don't want it to be about me because if the music isn't any good, it doesn't matter. You know, he mm-hmm. wanted it to be strictly on the principles of you know, the good music that, you know, we put out. And so one, you know, he let, you know, myself and Steve McKeever, you know, pick our artists that we had from, you know, Jill Scott to Kendrick, the family soul to Mike Phillips, to our series of unwrapped jazz projects that we did. And, you know, it was just a beautiful thing to, to be a part of. And, and, you know, one that really helped, you know, give me a base in the music industry and one I'm, I'm truly grateful for. All right. As we wrap everything up, I want to know um, what's next. Any any type of big time projects coming up in music or uh, you think about, you know, getting Hidden Beach kind of started back up for maybe getting some new artists out there. What are what are the thoughts for the future when it comes? Down you to know what? Um, you know, Steve McKeever, my old boss at Hidden Beach, still has Hidden Beach, you know, records up and running. And he's looking to sign some, you know, new artists. And one, you know, I actually work um, in community relations with Lowe's now. Um you know, Lowe's Home Improvement, Lowe's Companies, Inc. is where I work now doing community relations um, with skilled trade partners all across the country. And so one, you know, Hidden Beach was like, you know, my first kid before my daughter, Olivia. And so one, it's going to always be a part of what I do. Our internship program 
has, you know, put out some amazing talent. Um, you know, a young brother named Tremaine Williams, who lives down in the Raleigh Durham area, you know, he's Mariah Carey's main engineer. And so one, we've had oh, some wow. great success stories. Um, and Tremaine, fortunate enough to come down to my event last week. And, you know, we've had some great success stories from our internship program. So one, you know, Hidden Beach is a legacy that's not going anywhere. It's one that we built, but you know, one, I produce a jazz festival here in Charlotte called the Queen City Jazz Fest that the last two years because of COVID, you know, haven't been able to do. So hopefully, you know, come, you know, next year, I'll be able to get that back going again. And, you know, it's some other projects, you know, working on with Anthony Hamilton here in Charlotte. And so one, you know, it's a few things. I'm always going to have my hand in music, but it's some other projects, you know, like my, you know, new role at Lowe's and I'm enjoying now. And, you know, who knows what the future holds. All right. Well, I'm glad to be able to call you uh, a friend and a mentor and um, glad I had a chance to, to meet you uh, at 102 Jams uh, back in the day when I was just just a little intern. So, uh, Mr. Charles Whitfield, make sure you get to know it. And if you're ever in Kannapolis, stop by the North Carolina Music Hall of Fame and, and see all the great people that's there and get a chance to know a little bit more history about the um, about the state of North Carolina when it comes to music. Mr. Charles Whitfield, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you guys for having us and uh, keep doing up, keep doing all the great work uh, you and Dennis are doing down in the Triangle area and look forward to catching up with you guys soon. Not saying, I, I still think they're a top 10 band of all time. I still think people overrate them. We want to thank Charles Whitfield for joining us on the Culture State podcast. Um, you guys are ca- catching us right now in the middle of, of an argument right now. Um, <laughs> Not an argument. Who's arguing? Dennis just cursed me out. We were talking I, about the Beatles. Not curse you out. And <laughs> I was just awesome. reminiscing. I was saying how great the Beatles were and how I wish they were from North Carolina so I could yeah. brag about them all the time sure. being from North Carolina. And he was just like, yeah, Beatles are just overrated. I said they are overrated. Never said they weren't great. What? I never said they weren't great. I never said they weren't influential. Never said they didn't have a bunch of hit records and albums and hit songs. Never said any of that. I still think they're one of the best of all time, but I still think people overrate them. That's my opinion. Yeah, Michael Jackson has all these hits, and people know him as the king of pop, and he completely changed the way that he everybody did music. But yeah, he's overrated. Yeah, you know Drake has all these number ones, and he smashed all these records and everything, but he's overrated. Like what? Yeah, you know, Tom Brady has seven championships, but he's he's overrated. I never said any of those people were overrated, Chris. You just did. See, now you're trying to put words into my mouth, Chris. This is supposed but to be when fall, you, a loving When you season. won the championship every year, what's overrated about that? The Beatles are the champions of 60s rock, right? Okay, Who did it yeah, bigger in the 60s? Rock. Well, the 60s, not really in anybody, no. But that was then. I'm talking all time. Of course, people are going to build on the sound. I mean, like, you know, yeah. we, we can't say, well, Curtis Blow helped start rap. But, oh, man, he has stuff. His stuff just doesn't sound anything like Drake's right now. Like, of course. Of course. People build yeah, on the thing. Evolves. But yeah. some people some people laid a foundation. I just think there's, for me personally, that there's music out there that is better and more enjoyable than the Beatles. We want to thank Charles Whitfield uh, for coming on the Culture State podcast as we opine right now about our musical <laughs> choices uh, between us. Um, wow. Wow. I just I just feel I feel hurt. I feel betrayed. 
Um, <laughs> I mean, wow, the Beatles overrated. Um, I'm trying to think who do, who do I think is overrated. <sighs> this is gonna hurt saying this. We might lose uh, some listeners if I say this too. I think the Notorious B.I.G. is a little overrated. Now, the reason why I say that. Is because we really only have two albums from him. Yeah. And he was crowned the best. And I think a lot of it had to do with his death. Now, it is sad, and I'm not making fun of his death whatsoever. That's not what I'm doing here or whatever. But I, I do think that, like, he had such an impact at the time when he was out that when he died, it caught us all so off guard that we were so quick to crown He's the best because, you know, as far as what I remember, I mean, you know, I don't really I think I was 11 when he died. Okay. Um, I don't remember there being conversations of who's the best rapper ever. There could have been and I'm sure that there were, uh, you know, but rap is probably still only what, like, you know, less than 20 years old at that point, hip hop and everything. So I think at, there was a, a point where people needed to crown a king. Yeah. And um, I just. I don't think that the he had enough work out there to That's to right. give him that. Not to say he wasn't great, not to say he's not an all-time great. Um but he didn't get a chance. It's almost kind of like um Sean Taylor how yeah. good he was at football, but I can't call him the goat safety ever because you know, we didn't get a chance to really see his career really play out, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Bo so Jackson. I think that's that's why I would say that. You said what? Yeah. Bo Jackson, same type thing. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, actually, now that you mentioned that, also kind of leads me to think also Nirvana overrated. Like okay. major influence in terms of like grunge music okay. and like style and everything like that. But again, I think some of their songs like Smells on Teen Spirit, great song. I'm not denying its influence, but to me, I know it was top five, I think, in the recent or it's at least top 10 in the Rolling Stones top 500 in terms of music. Not that great of a song, in my opinion. Not top 10 all-time worthy, in my opinion. Uh, so just, yeah, I'm the same thing. Like Nirvana, to me, again, they just didn't have that long body of work mm -hmm. uh, with the unfortunate tragedy of, of Kurt Cobain. But I think that's the same type thing, is that they were so influential when they were around, and after Cobain's death, it just kind of magnified everything a little bit more. You know what, Chris? Maybe you and I, we can have a conversation about music while we sit down and eat some fresh Papa Murphy's pizza. Maybe we can do that. And we'll also make sure we do it on Tuesday because on Tuesdays we get $10.99 large Papa Murphy's pizza. That's right. Only $10.99 on Tuesdays. Papa Murphy's change the way you pizza. Give them a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Papa Murphy's. Delicious. On a Tuesday. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of the Culture State Five. I'm about to say podcast. What is a podcast? Culture State Podcast. <laughs> Please give us five stars. <laughs> Dennis is looking at me like I'm crazy uh, right there <laughs> as you're listening, wherever you listen at, where it's Apple or, you know, Spotify, wherever you listen, Audible, anything like that. Uh, thank, you, thank you so much. Remember to listen to Culture State Saturday. Um, you can catch that on the WRLSportsFan.com app if you're not in the Raleigh area to listen to 99.9 The Fan. Yes, Dennis. Why are you looking at me like that? Fodcast. I, I caught myself before I said it. Okay. Sometimes you just misspeak like perky man's. Okay. It just happens. <laughs> the culture state podcast, part of the capital broadcasting podcast network, 
with new shows coming out every Wednesday. Download and subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts, including the WREL Sports Fan app.